When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. best English language Fiorentina podcasts on the internet. Welcome to Viola Station. Well, today feels a little bit different. No, it's not just T-Swizzle drawing a couple hundred thousand people to Las Vegas today. I also heard there may be a football game being played out there or something. Uh, but Fiorentina decided to show up bright and early today and give all their fans a gift in a beautiful 5-1 to one victory over Frozen No Name. No one had to sweat this one out. It was pure joy all the time. Tito, the only question I have for you, what is a game like without tapers? Oh, there was still a top year. Don't worry. There was still room to squeeze a top year in, uh, even if it was one that deflected off of Nikola Milenkovic's big noggin, but... Yeah, it, uh, it almost felt worth waking up. Uh, this was a 3.30 a.m. kickoff on the West Coast. Mm-hmm. Almost felt worth it. It wasn't. I'm exhausted and possibly delirious. But, yeah, it's the closest to uh, to joy I've felt watching Fiorentina in about a month. So that felt pretty special, man. Uh, well, see, you should have taken a nap afterwards. See, you're, you're, you're still too young, not old enough yet. A wise man would have taken a nap after that game and then would have been refreshed for the full day. Uh, see, I've just never been able to take naps. I wake up and I'm groggy for the rest of the day. Uh, speaking of groggy for the rest of the day, though, we should probably go ahead and address the, well, I guess I would say the elephant not in the room, right? Uh, producer Mike Hines, not going to be with us today because he is uh, St. Lucia, right? Down in the Caribbean for his honeymoon. Honeymooning so, it up? Are, are yeah. you jealous? I'm jealous. I'm, I'm a little jealous. I hope he's out in the sun drinking uh, some kind of drink out of a uh, out of a fresh fruit with an umbrella in it. Definitely umbrella. Yeah, he, he seems like an umbrella drink kind of guy. Yeah. So yeah, we're we're both wishing him uh, all the best. Him and Elena both. So, so a little deviation, real quick. Question for you. Oh no. Uh, we normally ask about drinks. Uh, what are you drinking today? I, I'm just curious. What is your drink when you're at a, a, a Caribbean or beach destination? What's your go to? Oh man. Uh, that's tough. I've never been to a Caribbean beach destination, really. Uh, when I go to the beach up here, since I'm in the uh, the frigid northwest, it's usually wearing a jacket and a scarf. 
Uh So uh, probably a little nip of whiskey just to stay warm, man. How about you? Uh, Heading down to Mexico, used to go there quite often. It's been probably about two years since I've last been, but my favorite is just loading up on sugar, which is just not good for you, but uh, a frozen strawberry margarita or daiquiri. You give me something with some frozen strawberries in there. I am very, very happy. Holy smokes, man. Well, you know, here's the thing. You could do that here because, Mike, it's time to ask, what are you drinking right now? Nothing yet. Nothing yet. I already have two bottles, two bottles decanted, ready to go. One is a 2015 uh, Cassillon de Bulgari. It's a Bulgari Superior. Waiting for that one. I've been holding on to that for a little bit. So I have some friends coming over, family. So we will have some food, some drinks. I prefer the wine. So that'll definitely be where I started off with. And then, of course, it's not uh, a mic session without some Brunello. So I do have a 2015 Brunello out there as well. Uh, so I am very excited, but no, I have not started just because it's it's a little too early. I, I want to make sure I eat some food and see everything. As mentioned earlier, I'm, I'm just getting old. So hey man, it's it's three fifty it's three fifteen where you are. You can absolutely start now. It's a it's a civilized time. Yeah, yeah. How about you, bud? Uh I've got now that sober January is over, I have, and I am so excited to do this in front of the microphone again. There it is. That's the uh, Irish cookie death from Iron Horse Brewing uh, just right down the coast from us. And it is a uh, oatmeal raisin stout. And it is. Oh. Oh, that's good. Real smooth, what, real heavy, little sweet, but not overpowering. Strong. What, what's the alcohol on that? Uh, 7.8. So it is getting up there. It's okay. getting up there, but you know, we'll see if it can uh, if it can get me through this here podcast. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, that sounds delicious. I'm I'm a little jealous. I, I do love my stouts, not an IPA. Like sometimes when you come on with an IPA, that's just a little bit too much for me. Never was an IPA guy. Uh, yeah, you better stay out of the Northwest, man. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, I, th- I think the next thing we have to talk about here is not nearly as fun, right? Uh, I think it's time to discuss. Uh, that a week ago today, uh, Kurt Hamron, the legendary uh, Fiorentina and Sweden winger, uh, passed away, 89 years old. Uh, obviously, he's before both of our times uh, as a as a star for Fiorentina back in the uh, back in the 50s and 60s. Uh, he was the last surviving member or last surviving player from the. Uh, Sweden Brazil World Cup final as well in 1958, and just a, a legendary guy, a real icon in Florence, and just a, a beloved figure, I think, uh, in a way that I don't know. Can you think of any other players who are not Italian, not from Tuscany, not from the city itself, who have ever been as beloved and have just settled down there, and that's just where they've been? Not anybody to that level. I mean, the only other person I can think of is the mayor himself, Borja. But I mean, that's that's, you know, Borja would say it himself. That's two, three levels below that. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, we obviously love Borja and we we love Kurt Hamron. We send 
we send our best to his family, our condolences, just what a what an admirable player uh, by all accounts. I mean, I've, I've never met him, but by all accounts, a really standout, wonderful human being, wonderful man. Yeah, I, I'll be honest. I, I've never met him, uh, never watched uh, a lot, any of the highlights. I, I you know, haven't taken the time to do that. But what I will say is, is just from, you know, third uh, hand, just listening in. On others, uh, I go to Alessandro Sisto, the the Viola Club New York president. Every game that he shows up, it's wearing a Kurt Hamron uh, jersey. And, uh, you know, one of the things I remember being back in the day and, and just asking him a little bit about him, you know, because I didn't know. Um, I, I kid you not, for 20 minutes during a game, Alessandro is, is just telling story after story some of them sports related and some of them personally related as far as just bumping into him in, in the city. And you just see a whole bunch of people from Florence just joining in and sharing their stories as well. You know, it, it, it warms your heart, not only to have a, a sports hero like that, who's come through your team over the years, but when they settle with their family and, and his family, from what I'm told is well ingrained into the culture of Florence uh, you know, invested in several wine and, and um, hospitality industries, you know, th they do a lot of really good things for the city. So, you know, Kurt uh, is leaving a, a very good lineage and uh, I, it seems like that family's going to be there for quite some time, but, you know, Florence certainly lost a, a wonderful person from all accounts that I've been told. Uh, Fiorentina's lost a great legend, but, you know, it seems like the the stories are going to constantly be there for many, many years. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think that's very well put just showing what a, what a part of the local, uh, local life he, he, I guess we have to say was now. Um, so yeah, just farewell, Kurt Hamron and thank you for everything. Uh, I mean, there's no real good way to, uh, to transition from that to our, our next subject on the running order. So we're just going to make this a little awkward and uncomfortable and, go straight in. And I think that's, uh, yeah, man, it's time to talk about the Mercado. It's over. It's finally over. Thank goodness. I hate that. I hate the player market. It always means I'm too busy writing too many articles and trying to keep appraised of too much news and it's exhausting, but we're done. And I think it's, let's go ahead and take a look back, see what we can see uh, from this. What are we just a, a couple of weeks out from the end of it? Uh, so yeah, let's start here. Uh, what what do you think the Mercado did to Fiorentina's chances for the rest of the season? Where were you before? Where are you now on on where they're at? So listen, we were we were sitting fourth, which was a Champions League spot. I, I think we talked about it before. We were definitely overachieving. Did I think that we would finish the season in fourth? No. Um, do I think that this is a Europa League team? Sure, and it should be. So, you know, that that has to be the target at this point with really like seventh place being the the last that we can finish before the season's a disappointment in my mind. Um, you know, just just to sum it up, I think we made two pretty good signings, one excellent. Uh, you know, we're we're now having this conversation after two games where Belotti's played, scored already. Uh, came in uh, towards the end of the game last, but uh, I, I think, you know, he's really the the striker that we've missed since Dushan's been here. 
uh, and Ferrione, you know, another very serviceable guy, um, leader, uh, has, has strong instincts up there in age, but he's going to be somebody who can also mentor a lot of these young guys, which we saw Coyote have a, a pretty good game, in my opinion, again today. Uh, you know, Coyote's definitely somebody that's going to be up and coming for us. So I, I think it's nice to surround uh, those youngsters uh, in the left and right back with somebody like Ferrione. But at the end, you know, we have two good signings. We definitely missed on what everybody's talked about, which is that uh, winger. So that I think is unfortunately what has been the narrative since we closed out the Mercado a couple of days ago. Dang, man. you Yeah, you took all my talking points right there. I think I'm just fully in agreement. Uh, the only thing I'll say is that I've been waiting for the uh, the comments from management about how uh, getting Nico Gonzalez and Ricardo Sotil and maybe Gaetano Castrovilli back from injury is going to be like new signings. That is just like the the icing on top of the usual. Yeah, I I think that was pretty disappointing. Uh, I mean, I guess it. I guess what we can say is that it pushes a few guys. Further up the hierarchy, I mean, I guess Lucas Beltran is now the starting number 10, which seems to be paying dividends. Andrea Belotti, early returns are good for sure. I mean, we'll see how long that lasts. But yeah, I feel like it was uh, not the kind of market that you expect from a club that is within spitting distance of the Champions League for the first time in, what are we looking at, 13, 14 years? So I, I found that a little bit of a letdown too. I'm I'm glad we're on the same page here, although I'm not real surprised that we are. That uh <laughs> I feel like most fans are probably gonna be there. I, I guess what that really sets us up with is uh you know, because we're always trying to look ahead here. Uh what what are the areas in the squad that you think we need to be focused on in the summer? And I guess following that up, because this is Fiorentina, right? What are the areas in the squad that you expect to be focused on in the summer? Because those don't always line up. Well, there's no shortage. There is there. I mean, you, you mentioned Castrovilli. Uh, he was not welcomed back very well at all by uh, Barone from all accounts. Italiano is the one who seems to be wanting to bring him back when he's ready. Castrovilli doesn't seem like he's in any kind of rush to get back to the field probably just trying to play out his contract and then go to a club like Inter or AC and, and, you know, sign a, a decent contract uh, for free though. So, um, you know, you, you start taking a look at that position and it's the same position that Bonaventura is at this point, right? So what are we doing in that attacking midfield role where we have gotten some very good production out of the past three plus years. So I, I think that that is definitely concerning because that is an area where there's no gap today and there's going to be a new void on top of the voids that we have on the wings, on top of the void that we will have naturally because Belotti's going away. He's on loan. Not, we didn't purchase him. Um. So, you know, that offense really scares the hell out of me if i'm being honest like that where is any kind of goals going to come from following a season where it's been really hard to get any goals to begin with so that that's my biggest concern is contracts with castro i don't see them uh going anywhere jack 
Jack, from all accounts, is very, very pissed. Rightfully so, because here we have Barone, who's taking a very public stance against him. Again, like he's done with other players. Makes no sense to a guy who's been a free signing, who's played very, very well into his late years. And, and now you're taking a hard line with him. I don't get it, but I, I you know, again, I'm not making the choices. And then we have uh, the gaps on wings and and uh, in the striker role. So that that that's my first concern. Do you have any other thoughts there? I think you hit on, excuse me, <clears throat> excuse me, on uh, most of my thoughts. Uh, yeah, I, I will say for uh, for Castrovilli, if he's trying to take it easy and just get through this contract and get healthy, I can see. I'm not going to hold that against him. I mean, it seems like he really fell out with the club. I think that was. I don't think anyone really uh, covered themselves with glory in that whole interaction. And, you know, he's playing for his next contract in the summer. Like he, people know who he is, what he can do. I think he probably stands to lose more by uh, playing really poorly and making people think that his athleticism is impacted after his, uh, after his knee injuries. So it's probably in his best interest, frankly, to sit out, uh, and then sign for free elsewhere. And I, I wish him the best of luck again. I'm sorry it didn't work out. And I think there are plenty of people to blame him included for that. But at the end of the day, you know, we all just want these players to be all right. Uh, I'll, I'll add, yeah, I'm with Bonaventura, I'm with you. I understand that he's getting older and that, you know, he's probably not going to be able to maintain this level of play indefinitely, but also, he looks great for the most part. I mean, he definitely gets a little leggy when he plays twice a week, but he's, for crying out loud, he's almost my age. And that's just what's going to happen. He's your vice captain. He's uh, one of the real leaders in the team. Uh, I, I guess the only other thing I would highlight is uh, central midfield, because mm -hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if uh, if the club didn't redeem Maxime Lopez believe it's a 9 million euro fee to make that deal permanent from Sassuolo. Uh, I know that Rolando Mondragora scored a scored a banger recently, but I think on the whole, he has not been a very uh, good or steady addition for the most part. So I think that central midfield is also going to be a huge issue, especially because, uh, hey, a lot of, uh, of Lodi's who could leave besides Pelotti. Uh, Farioni technically mm -hmm. on loan. Yep, I'd love to see him stick around. Although I don't think right back is as much of a uh, an area to worry about with Dodo coming back and Michael Coyote already there. Uh, hey, should we talk about Arthur? What's <laughs> going to happen there? Because it sounds to me like he and his uh, representatives are already kind of laying the groundwork for his exit from Florence. Mm -hmm. So he can return to a, a Champions League level team, which again makes sense for a player like him. Uh, and and the... I think that that's the narrative Fiorentina's better off with. They're already planning on leaving. They don't need to speak and say that we can't pay and afford it. He just doesn't right. want to stay. That's a, that's a better narrative from a Fiorentina standpoint. I I would agree. I mean, he's he's been at Champions League teams for most of his career. I think maybe his entire career in Europe. So. I can see why he would want to continue that. Uh, so, yeah, that means, you know, we, we talked so much last last episode about how fantastic he's been. Yeah. Are we going to go back to uh, Rolando Mondragora holding things down in there? So it's going to be a scramble in central midfield, too. 
Uh, I'm definitely a little concerned about that. Uh, but hey, you know, that's I guess that's all stuff for future us to worry about, right? Well, and you mentioned Dodo. I remember when he came here and his agent said that Fiorentina is basically going to loan him. They they bought him, but they're basically going to get a year before he sold. Now he's two years into that contract. He's been out this entire year, but is he a kind of guy that maybe wants to move elsewhere and have a different change of pace? Nobody knows. And, and listen, I'm I'm just speculating based off of public statements that were made before. On the other side, though, you know, we, we talked about players that we were most disappointed in. Not that I'm most disappointed in this guy, but he's not had his best year. And he's definitely looking like he's on the downturn of it. But Agi has to be somebody that, you know, maybe he moves from the captaincy and starting role and, and somebody has to come over and, and play in front of him or something. I, I do have concerns on what happens over there on, on his side as well. Because and, and maybe that's one of the least areas, but still that that has to draw some concern. Yeah, I guess with uh between Baragi and Barisi, I feel like left back is in pretty good shape in terms of personnel. I know that you and I uh our feelings about Baragi differ. And hey, oh, yeah. little sneak preview. Uh we're gonna get into <laughs> that a little bit later in this episode. Yes. yes. Uh, first, we got a couple other things uh Mercado related to talk about, and we're gonna do that uh right after these messages. Wow, that was fun. It's so great to hear from advertisers. Love that. Favorite part of doing this. Uh, anyway, Capitalism. Yeah. It's and, what you studied, isn't it? Capitalism. Uh, no, I, I actually have a literature degree, um, which is about as far from that as you can get, man. It's, it's the anti, yeah. yeah. But, you know, since you brought it up, let's uh, let's talk about sort of the, the long-term financial implications of this, because I know this is something you are obviously way, way better at than I am. Again, literature degree. Uh, what do you think are the long-term implications of this Mercado, of the fact that Fiorentina didn't spend any money? I mean, this whole uh, Goodmanson thing uh, for, for people who have been living under a rock for the past three weeks. I congratulate you for missing this. <laughs> uh, but You're very fortunate. Yeah. Oh, boy, howdy. But yeah, yeah you want to you run through that situation and sort of uh, what what you're concluding from that? Because I know we've talked offline about that quite a bit, and I feel like that would be a a, a conversation worth having. You know, uh, there's a lot of speculation out there, and and because of the relationship between this club and uh, the journalist, all that can be done is speculation, and then information that gets passed along through other channels. So we've we've said before, Fiorentina does no service for itself by distancing or pushing out the journalists because nobody is pushing out information positively. It's, it's really them in, in these, and I don't even say press conference because it's not a press conference, but these, these, these Joe and Rocco show up to speak on their own agenda. And then there's no questions there at all, but Hey, Hey, on um, the plus side, at least you didn't show up in this one, man. So we're, uh, we're making big progress right now. I would say. There, there was a phase two that I'm worried about. So uh, I, I, I've kept my nose very clean uh, recently, so there should not be any worries. Um, you know, we, we put a post out there on on uh, Twitter um, uh, about a week ago. You, you had your article out there. I, I think that based off of what's out there from a speculation standpoint and what we can do in research. Now, 
the the Twitter post that we went out there and and we're able to find takes into consider transfer market. Now, transfer market doesn't take into consideration all the agent fees and 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 all the other things that go into it. But over the past four years, so that would be eight different mercados, summer and uh, and winter. Fiorentina have cashed in a profit of seventy six million euros. I'm going to pause. 76 million euros. Profit. Again, agent fees come out of that. You know, there's tax. There's a lot of other things that go into those. So no, 76 is is, is not the end number. But it does show you there has not been an investment in this club over the past four years. Rocco came in, made a huge investment in the club the first year. So much excitement. I, I do believe because of the rift between him and Joe and then the fans, that's really kind of pushed any type of investment discussion uh, along the wayside. And and you hear from others that, you know, the, the Viola Park is great, but Viola Park is just an investment in the real estate side. Yes, we are essentially becoming what many other professional sports teams are becoming, which is a real estate investment trust company. And, and where the money is going to be paid out in dividends is years later when you sell it. But you're essentially just putting the money up, having a toy, and then selling it down the road and making a substantial profit, which Rocco's a businessman. Nobody should be surprised about it. The surprise is he came in and I can attest to this, and, and I've said it many times before, Rocco came in with a lot of passion, with a lot of gusto and, and wanting to win and, and invested heavily. Just the decisions that were made up front, we played against one uh, today, uh, didn't go well. So we did not spend that money advantageously, which fans have every right to complain. Yes, it's Rocco's money. I get it. But Rocco purchased the city's team, the fans' team. They have every right to complain, and they will, and that has really caused a big rift. So from an investment standpoint long-term, it's been what we've seen over the past four years. Unless Joe stops fighting with the fans, unless he stops fighting with the journalists, and then those people stop taking out their frustration against Rocco, really, that's directed towards Joe. And and we're in a better spot. And now Rocco's like, hey, listen, I'm getting older. I want to see us win. I want to be beloved again. Um, and 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 he starts putting that money back into it because at, at this point, I, I do feel bad for Rocco. Listen, I I've been called out by him and uh uh we posted our our response to it. So there there's a lot of information out there. But somebody who has been part of his anger and frustration, I feel bad for Rocco. Let me say that again. I feel bad for Rocco. And, and I will say this. He's done a lot to get a winner. He hasn't gotten the support that he needs from key individuals. And I feel bad when I see Rocco, in order to get the admiration that I know he loves and he deserves, he has to put his name up on Viola Park. In, in big purple letters, which now you have Belotti who goes and takes a picture in front of it. 
Why does Belotti need to go and take a picture in front of Rocco B. Camiso Viola Park? That uh, is, I, I will say, the silliest the, thing. The full name of the center, I believe, that you're looking for is the uh, Rocco B. Camiso Viola Park for players who can't kick good and who want to learn to do other good stuff too. But yeah, no, I, sorry, sorry, I did not no, no, no. to interrupt your flow there. Go, go ahead. I, I, I think that's a good place to end. I, I do feel bad for him. He he deserves better. He's not going to get it because he won't transition. We'll have the same thing. So for as far as financial implication, long term implications, it's the same. No, and I, I think that's a really good point. I think looking at it uh, from the business side and as a real estate investment that. Uh, drives the valuation of the club up if and when he chooses to move on. And I mean, that's the nature of the modern game, right? As clubs change hands way more regularly than they ever used to. People buy and sell them as investments, which, yeah, I think that having someone like you who's looking at it from the business side is, for me at least, very, very helpful because I absolutely do not think about it in those terms. Uh, I, I think also it's interesting that you talk about uh, uh, Rocco's whether or not he'll invest going forward and whether or not he'll rediscover that passion, bring the accordion back out for people and start playing songs. Uh, it's kind of hard to imagine at this point. And I think, I guess, I guess the real question for me is, is, uh, is this just Fiorentina's level now? Do you think is sort of in the thick of the fight for the tail end of the European places, maybe in an outlier year, you can hope to qualify for the champions league, but honestly, probably not just because the, the bigger clubs are spending so much more. And in a, in a bad year, a year where you have some misfortunes or some injuries, you're probably going to drop down to somewhere around 13th or so. Is that, I mean, does do you think that's just what Fiorentina is under this current model or do you see any room for growth into something more than that. So where does growth come from if you're not going to spend the money? You look at Atalanta's model, which now Roma are being rumored to be targeting their director of sport, bringing them over because of all the success that he's had there. Um, I, I have concerns if we're not going to overspend for our failures, our failures are going to be something that's hard for us to over overcome unless we're bringing in uh, a Vlahovic and a Chiesa and all of these players that we were able to grow up through uh, our Primavera team, we have some decent players that are coming through. No doubt about that. But decent players aren't going to get you the world-class talent that you need to help you overcome some of those, those mistakes that you make in the Mercado. And we're, listen, we're we're not spending in the Mercado. And, and also say this, let's take that aside. Let's also talk about Italiano. Italiano has gotten a lot of negative publicity for getting a team that should have been nowhere near fourth, up to fourth, asking for a winger, getting a, a very good striker, getting a serviceable uh, right back, but didn't get his winger. So... You know, I think the question has to be asked, how does that impact him? And is he going to move? Because there are a lot of teams that are interested in, in bringing Italiano in. And I, I think that while Italiano loves Florence and Fiorentina, 
there, there's probably some shared frustration there with him too. Yeah, I would, I would think. And uh, my biggest concern there too, is that he's shown so much growth as a, as a tactician this year. I mean, the, the players still all love him. Uh, if you listen to any conversations with them, with the media, they all constantly credit him as an inspiration and they love him. They love his tactical out the way he sets up the team, the, the, freedom that he gives them to really express themselves but he's shown i think just such growth as a as a as a coach in game this year uh, he's you know tried out three at the back when he asked to even though it was absolutely enforced by injuries he managed to put that together and look pretty competent with it uh he's figured out he's figured out some really interesting stuff with his fullbacks i think uh, he's done some cool stuff with the wingers. Uh, yeah, I, I think he's just shown so much growth. The, the stuff he's done with the with the center backs and deep build up play, pushing one of them really high, and then dropping Arthur deeper to just always get that first ball from the goalkeeper and initiate that build up and push the uh, the central defender high, essentially so that the opponent has to mark him and leave Arthur free. That's really really clever tactical stuff that you expect from someone who is a top level manager and Italiano is not there yet. I think he's going to be and managers like that who impact winning tend to go to clubs that will pay them a lot because managers who impact winning are again, let's get very capitalist about this. They are a rare commodity. That means they're worth a lot. Is Fiorentina going to pay Vincenzo Italiano as much as, I don't know. Let's say Napoli, where he's been heavily rumored uh, at the end of the year. I don't know. I know that Aurelio De Laurentiis loves spending some money. He's not afraid to spend money on coaches. And I'm pretty sure that the reason he hired Walter Mazzari was not because he thinks that uh, old Walter is going to be the long-term solution, but because he knows someone's going to be available come summer. Who's that going to be? Is it going to be someone with links to the city of Naples? Who can say? But it's hard not to read the uh, the tea leaves a little bit there. Uh, I will I will add here too, uh, in defense of, of Fiorentina's Mercado, because I don't I don't want us to sound like we're just uh, talking down everything the club's done because I, I think that's just an unbelievably reductive and stupid way to look at things, right? Like we could we both agree that the some of the decisions being made, a lot of the decisions being made perhaps are not great, but we also agreed this club was probably never actually going to realistically push for the champions league. I don't think they were one player away, two players away, probably not even three players away from doing that. And so just chucking money around in January in the hopes of striking gold for the back half of the season, I'm comfortable not doing that. I think that's smart even when the other teams uh, with whom Fiorentina is directly competing for that last spot and for spots in Europe, uh, a lot of them did spend more and reinforce considerably. So that that's not my issue here. It's not that there wasn't money spent. It's that there just doesn't really seem to be a, a, a long-term plan in place. It seems it seems like this window was just kicking the, uh, the can down the road to the summer and the problem the problem is that there are going to be so many more holes in the in the roster then 
even than there are now. I think that's that is what worries me. That is that does that seem fair? Am I being am I leaning too far one way or the other, man? I just I don't no, know. You, I feel you, like I've been you thinking play it about out this. Belody. Maybe we can get them for ten million, right? But the past four seasons, past eight windows, we haven't invested. So who are we going to sell? So in order to get Belody, now you have to sell Nico. Are we going to sell Nico? Which is very possible. But now, now you go back to it. Okay, so now we're going to depend on Akone, who had a great game today. But we have no other wingers. Sorry, so Teal's still there. But he he's not somebody you can depend on. Uh, uh, Christian Kwame, I think, when he comes back from AFCON, is a, is a good and dependable player. Good and dependable, but certainly not going to replace Nico in the production that he's. Oh, doing. absolutely not. But he, I, I, I think we are forgetting about him while he's. Yeah. You know, no, doing listen, the thing. love, love Kwame. Um, but, but if he's one of your starting wingers where you need two wingers in, in Italiano's offense here, who's the other guy? When I, are you going to now go out and spend 25 million? Uh, on Goodmanson, that's going to go up. So, you know, maybe we sell Nico for 55 and we invest 30 of it because that's been the way that the markets have gone the past few years. So so where are the rest of the players coming in? Uh, that part, I don't know. Like Alessandro Bianchi, Bianco's on, uh, uh, on loan right now having a good season. But can you expect him to come in and tear the world on fire? No, like that that does not make sense. Um, and we have so many spots that are going to have gaps. Forward, winger, central midfield, right back, potentially with whatever Dodo wants to do. Does LMQ want to stay? How many times has he been rumored to leave? And are we going to actually break the bank by selling LMQ next year? Probably not. So now you're probably having to go out and get somebody that's also a project the way that LMQ was. You know, we, we, we're now in the second and a half, almost third year of LMQ, and, and now he's playing well. But uh, it took time, you know? So so those are the things that do concern me. There, there isn't a player that we can go out and sell other than Nico who's going to make a Mercado. And even if we do, we're only going to be spending two thirds of what we make on him anyway. Yeah. I think that's a, I think that's a really, really good summary of Fiorentina's economic transfer plans right now is sell one player for big money, reinvest a little bit of it and hope that Italiano could stitch something together. And yeah, I, I think to me, that's just a symptom of a, of a, of a policy about transfers and about just long-term planning for the club in general, that is so reactive rather than proactive. It's it, there, there's no real vision for here's what we want to do here. are The steps we have to take to get there. It's uh Oh, something just happened. We better go into panic mode and try to fix it. And again, for the most part, they've done so they have managed to hit on most of those panic purchases at least to the level where the club has not plummeted back down to Beppe Yakini levels. And I think that is, again, that's a significant achievement, uh, getting the club back into the European conversation. 
back into a couple of finals last year, that's not nothing. And I'm not trying to brush that off. But I also think that this club is, you know, one year long Nico injury away from a relegation battle and relying that much on a player who might get sold anyways at any moment feels volatile to me, let's say real volatile. And that makes me, uh, that makes me real nervous, man. Let, let, let me ask a question to you. So at this point, it's it's safe to say that we're a self-funding team. We, we use the term. It, it was uh, looked down on during the Della Valle years, uh, but that's where we're at. So we're a self-funding team. In order to have a self-funding team, you need to have some creative genius. Now, Corvino, like him or hate him, he missed a lot, but when he hit, he hit big. And my concern is we have Prade, and Prade's really given up the the direction and, and choosing players to Barone. How are you going to get anybody to be making these decisions moving forward? Or let's just say, and we mentioned the guy from uh Tony D'Amico from from uh, Atalanta, who's clearly made a name for himself he's he's now going to be worth a lot of money for anybody who wants to to you know bring him in as the director of sport do you think if tony came to fiorentina and said hey listen i i love what you did with the viola park now let's build a team that can actually come and play inside and outside of viola park sign me up i'm, I'm gonna even give you a you know a cheap discount five hundred thousand dollars a year let's get this done move it forward do you even think that Barone would say, yes, I'm going to move out so you can, you know, do your thing and make us better? Oh, boy. Uh, so that would definitely involve me speculating, which I'm always loath to do. Uh, that said, well, maybe because uh, I get the sense that Joe Barone loves anything on a bargain. And uh, if he gets offered one, I, I feel like he's... Uh, He's going to snap it up. He's, you know, that that's the that's the businessman in him. Let's put it out into the world then. Let's make it happen. Tony, <laughs> 500K for Fiorentina. You get to come in and, and run the club, make all the choices. Let's do it. And also probably hire an entire analytics department because I'm not sure if Fiorentina is really running one. And a scouting right department as well. So Ye those two things would have to be an investment. Well, tell you what, let's uh let's have another little break here and then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about a uh a couple of smaller scale things maybe, but things that are definitely worth discussing including about your old buddy Cristiano Baraghi. Wow, what great advertisements, what great products and or services. Anyways, uh, I think one of the things we've been talking about a lot offline, texting back and forth about, uh, is is Cristiano Baraghi's comments after that unfathomable loss against Lecce. Uh, for people who aren't familiar, I'm not going to read the uh, his entire uh, set of comments uh, to to the press directly afterwards, but let's say that he was clearly extremely frustrated. To have lost that lead, he, uh, he was just, I mean, oh boy, I'm trying to think of a nice way to say this, and I'm not sure that I will. I feel like he pretty much just lost his mind 
uh, in front of the microphones was just seething, angry, and was talking about, you know, the the team can't keep doing this. This is unacceptable. This is what happens when you have these kinds of players. You can't lose when you're winning on your own corner kick at full time. Uh, I mean, he was just hopping mad. And I feel like there's a couple of ways to take these comments. Uh, I feel like due to our natural uh, predilections, we are probably each going to take them a different way. Would you like to present your side first or would you like me to start? Why why don't we start with the positive? Awesome. So that's going to be me, which is weird because I feel like I'm not always super positive about, uh, you know, anything Fiorentina related, right? Uh, so what I think this shows to me is that uh, Cristiano Baraghi really, really cares. He cares about this team. He wants to win. He has high expectations for himself, for his teammates. I think we saw that demonstrated in the Conference League final last year when he got hit in the head with a vape pen and bled everywhere like a, uh, uh, let's make it one of your references, man, like a 90s wrestler just with the uh, with the razor blade hidden in his hand, just spurting blood all over the place, and just kept going, completely unconcerned, uh, just tough as nails, inspirational. Uh, I think that one of the things he mentioned in this uh, in this outburst was that this is exactly what happened against Empoli a couple of years ago. I think the fact that he's clearly still dwelling on another spectacular collapse from two years ago shows that he knows the history of this team. He remembers, he remembers every failure and he is infuriated by it. I think that is actually good leadership from a captain. I I like to see that. Uh, I, you know, I'd like to see a little more self-control, frankly, uh, just sort of unloading both barrels while spinning in a circle yelling, ah, is not particularly constructive. I love the passion. Uh, I'm also a little bit concerned about some of his other content, or, or uh, sorry, some of his other comments in there, and I have a feeling you're going to dive into those right now. So go ahead and rebut everything I just said and explain to me why I am as wrong as I could be. Yeah, I, I will start with uh, areas that I will will try to find agreement. Um, I, I will actually go to one of the moments where I have found Baragi to be very likable uh, and, and somebody that, that I wanted to buy into. Uh, just a couple months ago when there was the, the tremendous flooding in Florence, um, Christiana Baragi was one of the people that was out there in the streets with boots on and a shovel cleaning up helping like his neighbors nearby not not going to a very public place in the area where he lives he was helping all his neighbors clean up their areas and get them going he received a lot of very just praise from the fans like there was a lot of love a lot of support that came out um during that and afterwards and 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 listen that that was a moment that made me think maybe he is a good guy. Uh, and, and listen, maybe he is. Um, my issues stem back to one thing. 
I became a fan of Fiorentina, not because I'm Italian, not because my father, you know, always watched the game and, and made me watch it, had nothing to do with anything like that. I became a fan of Fiorentina because I stopped watching the NFL and I needed to have something else to do. Uh, started watching soccer. Didn't want to become a Man U fan. Didn't want to be Real Madrid fan. Hated Juventus even at that time before knowing who Juventus was. <laughs> so I uh, fell in love with the city that I loved, their team. And their coach at the time was Cesare Prandelli. To me, there is no wrong Cesare can do. Everybody knows Cesare's story as far as what he did here, his story with his wife, the success that he had, some of the struggles that came out afterwards, you know, as far as sports related. Um, but he came back to this club during a time when we were in need. Now, obviously, St. Uh, Beppe Acchini was, was, you know, unjustly pushed out. Um, and, and, you know, deserves a bronze statue, bronze statue, but, uh, Cesare came in and, and helped support this team in transition. And at that time, from what I was told was also even being, um, being brought in as a transitionary coach to the next one, and then going to go into the head of the Primavera. Um, what instead happened was and I'm not going to uh, to talk about the the rumors or the things that I've heard secondhand. Uh, I I will just talk about things that we're very confident have happened. Uh, I'm not going to go into the why or how this was set up, but Baragi was very instrumental in leading an uproar against Cesare Prandelli. Was very vocal. In a group of players, which include, included Amrabat, which is also why I could never get behind Amrabat, um, to push out, to make uncomfortable, to to really just tear into Prandelli post-game and in, in some practices, making it very, very difficult for him to do his job, to the point that he decided, that's it, I'm done. Like, I have something that I could work through, can't. Now listen, Prandelli made very public statements around what he needed in that January Mercado right after he took over a game or two in, in December. And that was it. That sealed his fate. Um, I cannot get behind Baragi from that standpoint alone. So so listen, I have a lot of bias. Uh, do I enjoy watching Cristiano on the field? No, I, I don't think he's a good leader. I don't. Like, you want to look at a leader, I think Jack's a good leader. I would rather Jack be the captain than Bordaghi. You know, I, I, I don't see him um, being ingratiated by a lot of the fans. There have been moments where he has, and he's tried. To his credit, he has tried to go out there and, and work with the fans and, and uh, you know, speak with them. I, I just haven't seen it, and, and nobody that I speak with has been like, you know, hey, Bordaghi's our captain. Nobody. I I just I I don't see it now. The comments aside, the, the, speaking on the comments, sorry. Um, I'm okay with him calling out players, but you can't call out your players post game 
publicly the way that you did in that sense. You have to be a leader in the game, making sure that everybody's in a position, everybody's up to snuff, and nobody's going to make a mistake. That's the definition of a leader, not somebody who's going to go and point fingers and start yelling and, and cursing and screaming, calling everybody names. That makes no sense to me. So that that in there, again, lies where my fault is with Bragi. No, I, I think that's fair. I think that he's, for, uh, again, from everyone I've spoken to who's close with the team, it sounds like he's probably not naturally a real extroverted guy. He is much more the quiet leader, the guy who's going to pull on his boots and take his shovel out and go get to work in the streets with contacting anyone, just wants to go do his job and do it well. I think he's kind of been thrust into this leadership position that might be a slightly awkward fit and that, frankly, he's done a pretty good job, I think, all things considered. Uh, I do think it's worth pointing out, too, that Lecce collapse, he had been subbed off. He wasn't on the field when all that happened. And so I think that probably a lot of his frustration, I was trying to, I was thinking about this, you know, who was he, the, the word he used is Puccini, the chicks, the the little chickens, which is uh, an Italian for whoever's not a, a speaker, a native speaker means, uh, you know, people who are like inexperienced and kind of clumsy. And so I assume he was referring to Fabiano Parisi who replaced him and maybe to, uh, to Mbalenzola, who's really poor headed clearance set up that goal. Uh, from which everything unraveled. And I think, yeah, to me, that's that's the the, the wrong way to go about it. Uh, throwing people under the bus like that in the press, I think, is not a very appropriate thing to do. And I found that to be pretty disappointing. Uh, I think that's something you got you to gotta handle in-house. Uh, you don't air your dirty laundry in front of everyone like that. So no, I'm I'm kind of with you. I was I was disappointed. I don't think it uh impacts I don't think it impacts my overall view of him. I think he was clearly just really, really frustrated with a uh an excruciating moment and let his emotions get the better of him. Which I'm you know, I I want him to live and die with the team as the captain. I'm comfortable with that. Hmm. But but I do think that I think you're completely right that throwing a presumably Parisi and maybe Enzola and maybe some other guys under the bus is just, is just a, a poor look. And I'm, I'm a little disappointed in him for that, but also here's the other thing, man, you know, we've seen Jack lose his cool several times on the field, especially getting red carded a few times, just because yeah. he, he's lost his cool. Uh, we've seen plenty of other guys, uh, be unable to fill that leadership void, essentially. I mean, I think Nico Gonzalez is the head and shoulders best player on the team, is the most obvious candidate. And we know that he talks a whole lot, given that uh, Lucas Torreira nicknamed him Radio because he never shuts up. Uh, yeah, call back to a happier time there. Um, but again, I'm not sure if he's really that uh, that inspirational, you know, get everyone else amped up to to go hard get in and dig in get results i'm not sure if he's that guy maybe he is i like i'm not around the team here i am up in the northwest of the u.s which is about as far from italy as you can get but i i think i think there might be a void of leadership on this team especially with bonaventura clearly upset with management and i worry that uh yeah, the season that's so finely balanced when you start 
having a a squad that's divided against itself like that. That's a little bit of a concern. And that does that does worry me. Let me ask you this. Uh, history being what it is with Baragi, is there a chance that those comments weren't directed at Enzola or Parisi? They were meant for somebody who may have made those changes. Uh, yeah, very possibly, very possibly. But again, I, everything I can tell is that uh, Biragi and Italiano have a pretty good relationship. They seem to get along. I've never heard of any other wedges between them. So, I mean, maybe. But also, I think that Italiano is pretty much universally beloved uh, by everyone in the team, as far as I can tell. So I'm I'm not reading that into it. Uh, so was Cesare. Well, well, we'll see. I mean, you know, maybe maybe I turn out to be wrong. Hindsight being what it is. Uh, but at the moment, I guess that's not really too high on my list of concerns with this team. Yeah, makes sense. But uh, hey. Tell you what, let's uh let's take another little break here, come back, and let's end this on a slightly happier note in just a moment, shall we? All right, we're back. Let's wrap this sucker up. Uh, here's the thing, man. A lot of doom and gloom over the uh over these last couple of segments, right? The fun part is, uh, we just watched Fiorentina demolish Rosinone. Five to one, and it was an absolute joy to watch. Uh, you know, well, let's 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 talk about this a little bit, just so we can be a little more upbeat and uh, demonstrate to people we're Please. not just a couple of eors. Yes, we're actually <laughs> fans too. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I like, you know, we want the team to do well. We like seeing the wins. We don't like seeing all the struggles, right? Uh, it's it's way funner to record this stuff. Uh, when everything's good and yeah, man yeah i feel way better about being on mic you know it might be the beer in the like three hours of sleep i got <laughs> last night so i'm just you know in an altered state of consciousness now uh but i, I guess here's what i want to open up with you so the the attack we saw lined out today it was a uh, andrea belotti up top nico gonzalez playing from the left jonathan icone on the right and lucas beltran as uh, a sort of roving number 10. Is that the best attack that Fiorentina could field given its current players on the roster this year? If Ikone plays like he did today, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, now listen, I said last week he was the most disappointing player on the squad this year because he has not played like that. If he plays like he did today, and, and listen, there were a few mistakes, but nobody cares about it. He was amazing, absolutely amazing. And I think that he was actually the mechanism for getting that team going to begin with, which everybody kept going afterwards. I, I thought all four up top had a very, very, very good game. All of them had a positive impact, whether it was an assist, build-up play, a goal. There was a lot of positivity from those four. I was very excited. It was amazing to see, can we do that week in week out like you know we, we're still in three different you know different groups here at this point that part's going to be tough but no props out to Akone. after i said it last week i'm not saying i'm wrong I'm, I'm clarifying now that if he plays like that 
if he has games week in and week out like he did today, he could actually be the the best player on the team if he was going to be doing that. That's how well he played today. I was amazed. No, I, I, I'm with you. He was fantastic. Uh, I can't think of a player in recent Viola history who needed that kind of game more at this point, just given how toxic the narrative around him had gotten. Uh, I think it's also great that he confirmed that he listens to our podcast and and really wanted to impress you. And uh, and and he did. So, I mean, yeah, I, I cannot give him enough credit. Uh, the mental toughness he's displayed there to go on. I mean, that that assist for Pelotti was absolutely unreal. Just the, the pace, the dribbling, the dribbling again, like we talked about it last week, dribble somewhere. He went he went places with that ball and knew what to do with it. And I, yeah, and I think that's what, I mean, that's the thing about Johnny Ikone, right? Is uh, he's always got that kind of ability. It's just the, uh, it's that last move that always gets him. And, you know, when he's feeling it, when he's dialed in, he's amazing. I'll also go ahead and say, uh, having Nico out there on the opposite wing, I know uh, Nico's not always as good playing on the left because he can't cut in onto his stronger foot. Although also after watching that volley, are we sure his left is his stronger foot? Cause Holy smokes folks, that was really something. It sure was. Uh, but I, I think that having Beltran as the number 10, rather than a uh, Giacomo Bonaventura makes such a difference for Icone because Beltran is going to run in behind He's going to be more of a goal threat. He's going to be in the box more. Jack tends to drop very deep. And that means that the wingers, in turn, have to push higher up and create more of a goal threat. That's not really what Ikone does. He's an incredible dribbler. He's the kind of guy who drives the team into the final third, ideally, when he's playing against a set defense. Uh, and then on a counter, he's he can be devastating. Otherwise, he's not really doing much. And so having Beltran there, who can pull wide, who can do a lot of those things in the box that Ikone just, he just does not or cannot do, which is fine. Like, not every player can do everything, right? Uh, I think that makes a huge difference. And I think it's a good reminder that it's not always a matter of, you know, this one player needs to be better, that every single position is intrinsically linked to every single other position and that making one change at center back can mean that your winger suddenly looks much better. And so I think, I think that's a really striking thing to me. I think that's what really stood out. Uh, I like, I really like having a uh, Nico on the left also, if I'm honest. At it, best. Yeah. I mean, cause he can essentially just push inside, play as a second striker next to Beltran, mm -hmm. Viragi or Perak or a, uh, excuse me, Parisi can overlap and provide that width on the left in the crossing. And then you have a little bit of an overload. You've got that five players along the front that's, you know, sort of the classic uh, modern attacking shape that you see guys like uh, Pep Guardiola have really popularized over the past half decade or so. So, no, I, I think that this is a really good shape. I think the one... The one thing I will throw at you, and again, you're welcome to disagree with this because this is just me uh, kind of jumping all over the place. Uh, I'd be really interested to see Kwame on the left and Nico Gonzalez on the right. I think with, uh, I think especially with Faraone at right back, having another aerial target 
especially on the back post to aim for, makes a lot of sense. That lets Nico cut inside, which he likes to do. And Guame is really good in the air. Mm -hmm. So I think putting him up against a fullback on the back post offers another target that I really like. Uh, he's also, Guame is so good defensively, works so hard, tracks back incredibly yeah. well, and offers a lot of protection to the left backs who sometimes need that protection, let's say. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. I guess I guess the question is, would you rather see Ikone out there or Kwame? And I don't think there's a wrong answer here, especially if Ikone is going to be this guy now. So I would say this. Ikone has been much more consistent this year than – Kwame has been much more consistent this year than Ikone. Sorry. There we go. Yeah. Ikone has a higher ceiling, though, than Kwame. That, that, that's what it comes down to. Um, and at the end of the day, it, it all depends on who's hitting for you. And, and that comes down to Italiano being able to balance game time and understanding who's playing best at, at that moment to be able to put them in. Because when you see how they all played well together, and, and honestly, I, I give credit to Beltron, you did as well. That seems to be like the experiment of him playing up top has to be over. We now know what his position is, and he's phenomenal at it. Phenomenal at it. Yeah, I'm with you. I feel like uh, I'm I'm not quite ready to say that he's the best. Uh, I'm not going to say number 10 necessarily, but uh, Secunda Punta, you know, striker, but a striker who's not a true mm -hmm. number nine. Mm -hmm. Is he the best one we've seen in Florence since a, a certain beautiful Romanian man who can mm -hmm. say? He's not there yet. Could he get He's there? also said that he would like to coach in Italy recently. I don't know if you saw that. Shout out oh, to to a team that he played for in Italy. He would love to. He would love to coach for. So just wow. get me a little excited, you know. Oh wow, yeah. Oh. I, oh wow, I am a little excited. That's yeah. uh, that means Fiorentina has what a, a twenty percent chance. I think. There you go. There you go. And so I can't. That. Yeah, and I can't imagine. Uh, well, unless they do like a work release thing. Uh, <laughs> that he's, gonna he's, end not, up he's not in, going uh, to the EPL, yeah, yeah, or or that he's going to uh, Juventus or Inter, yeah. So that definitely leaves Fiorentina, Parma, and uh, oh, it was uh, was it Piscara that he wrapped up with? There at the there for that last weird year where he where he was hanging on. Oh man, God, that would be incredible. Sorry, I'll be slap myself back into the. <laughs> <laughs> To, 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 to kind of here. bring us back in, let, let's take it in a different direction for the game here. How about the midfield? I, I was worried Arthur is injured, but how good, how amazing was Duncan today? That guy acts as a maestro, getting the ball, moving it everywhere it needs to go. Two assists, I believe, right? I think he had two? Yep, two assists. Two assists, and even on on some of the 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 plays that Akone was making on that right side, it was Duncan who got him the ball in motion and got the whole entire thing moving. That guy conducted a beautiful orchestra from that midfield position today. I was thoroughly impressed with him. That that, in my opinion, was the difference of a two one game and a five one game. Yeah, that's. I mean. I think we on this podcast have been very public in our admiration for and love of Alfred Duncan for, I mean, for years now. 
I don't think we've made any secret of it. And yeah, this was just such a good reminder, especially after he had a a pretty bad game by his standards against Lecce, which, you know, happens to everyone. I think mm-hmm. it was... A lot I mean, of people had a about, bad game that game. Yeah. Well, boy, howdy. I mean, we talked about Ikone needing a, a bounce-back game pretty desperately. Uh, Alfred Duncan didn't necessarily need the bounce-back game, but dang, did he play one. He did. And yeah... I, I mean, I think that he's, yeah, his the vertical passing he provides is so good. I also thought it was really interesting. Sorry, this is going to get very uh, tactics nerdy, for which I apologize. Go but for you know it. We I love am. it. Yep. Uh, that he played on the right side of the midfield instead of the left. Because when he plays on the left, he tends to drift wide and just hammer in those low, like incredibly tightly curled crosses. Uh, on the right, he's hitting these in-swingers instead of the out-swingers. And I think that suits uh, having, uh, excuse me, uh, Nico Gonzalez running in behind. I think it also means that he can kind of pop that pass down the line for Ikone to run onto in those wider areas, whereas Nico likes to come more central. I think it means that he's more likely to hit that pass over the top to uh, Lucas Beltran. I mean, I I think that he's probably going to, I think that Alfred is probably going to stay on the left of the midfield when Arthur's healthy and good to go but it's a nice reminder that again you make just that one really minor change you move one of your central midfielders from the left side to the right side changes a lot of things about how he plays and how the way the way that reverberated throughout the team I felt like uh I felt like Rosinone was not ready for that and really didn't have an answer for it and took way too long to figure one out and that's the upshot is 5-1 um, who's sitting fourth on the team right now in uh, most goals scored? Do you know? Oh, are we are we doing are we doing trivia? Uh, I will. I mean, it's got to be the uh, the best Argentine finisher uh, on the roster, right? Statistics would actually say that it's Beltran, but uh, yes, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> so five for Beltran, Beltran, and uh, LMQ, your boy, four. He's Man. just. He's just not stopping, is he? Not at all. Like he just gets up there. <laughs> I, yeah, like they—they're they're inviting him up there too. Let him go. I don't think I've ever seen a defender who is that thirsty for goals, and it's so funny. I—I uh, I will say though, if you want to look at the uh, I, again getting nerdy, if you look at the XG numbers right now, uh, Lucas Martinez Guarta, three goals for one point four XG, which is, I think he's outperforming his XG by more than a. Uh, anyone else on the team, which is just hilarious to me. I think that's so funny. Uh, and it makes me love him even more. So yeah, good good on him, Lucas. Even when you're dribbling around in your own box and losing the ball and conceding <laughs> a shot like a like a doofus, I still love you. You're uh, he's just he's just an inherently comical player. And again, even when it doesn't work, you want the guys who are out there doing wacky stuff. And he hustles. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Jeez, a center back that runs as much. Oh, I can't even imagine. Yeah, can't I can't even imagine. I would love to see his. I feel like he's got to cover more ground than any center back in Serie A. Yeah. I would. I, I'm actually. I'm going to look that up sometime, and I'll. I'll try to report back. There you but, go. You know what? I, we could talk about that next time, Mike. I think we did it. I think we recorded a perfect podcast, and I think we should go ahead and end it here. You got anything else? 
before we go? No, no. It's uh, it's uh, it's wine time. That, that's what it is for me. <laughs> get some wine. All right, I'm not going to get in the way of that. We'll never see y'all next time. Take care. Viola Station is the podcast from violanation.com and part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. You can also find us on Twitter at viola underscore nation. Thanks for listening. Forza Viola. Podcast Network.